Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. My name's Rick Samprin. In this edition of the GMH podcast, we preview the back-to-back leaders debates, back to school in Hamilton, and another big vote for Hamilton's LRT project. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast starts now. Serving up a healthy dose of news, traffic, and engaging opinion. This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Samprin on 900 CHML. If you've been following the federal election campaign, you will know that uh, protesters continue to mar the campaign stops that Liberal leader Justin Trudeau has been attending. Uh, Yesterday, he said he's going to leave it up to police to decide whether charges are warranted after he was pelted with gravel at a campaign stop in London the other day. Says he felt the stones hit him. He wasn't hurt. Some some people in the media uh, were hit by these stones as well. But Trudeau says he's more concerned about everyday Canadians who are facing harm from anti-vaxxers. Everyone who is walking into a hospital on their own for a late night shift, who's worried about some anti-vaxxer that might come scream at them and try and rip off their mask. Those are the people that I think about. Those are the people I want to defend from being tossed gravel at, from being spat on. And the other party leaders, Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh, both saying that, yeah, this is way over the line in terms of what the protesters are doing. Let's bring in our first guest of the morning. His name is David Tarrant, Vice President, National Strategic Communications with Enterprise, and he joins us now. Mr. Tarrant, good morning. How are you? Hey, good morning, Rick. Thanks for having me on. Hey, thanks for coming on. Before we talk about uh, tonight's French language debate, what do you make of these protesters and how not only Liberal leader Justin Trudeau is handling it, but the other party leaders are responding to it? Well, listen, the as for the, I, I think calling them protesters is probably being too generous. I mean, we all have a right to protest politicians we don't like. But when you start getting into violence and intimidation and whatnot, it goes beyond protest. Um, and, and obviously it's something that should be, you know, that's, that's morally unacceptable, but also, quite frankly, idiotic. Like, I don't know what these, these people expect to do by throwing things at the prime minister. They expect, oh, wow, you hit me with a rock, so therefore I'm going to climb down and every policy you don't like for the past three years. Or, or I'm, if I yell at enough nurses, uh, there, there are people who are going to change vaccine passport or mandatory vaccine policies. I mean, it, the fundamental stupidity of these people is 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 really, for me, just as jarring as, as how you know morally unacceptable what they're doing is. It's also leading to our uh, online poll question today at AM 900 CHML on Twitter. Are the protests at Liberal leader Justin Trudeau's campaign stops helping or hurting his re-election bid? 54% say they are helping. What do you think? You know, I, I don't think anyone really wins on this, uh, quite frankly. And, and, and listen, I mean, on one hand, uh, you know, Trudeau has clearly made the decision that he's going to try to, you know, uh, he's, you know, obviously liberals aren't, aren't responsible for these protests. People are coming after them. Uh, but he wants to try to portray himself as an object of sympathy. Uh, at the same time, uh, you know, uh, when's the last time the Liberal Party's got a, a coherent message the day out? It's, 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 all about, it's all about vaccines. It's all about kind of how divided society is. Um, you know, the one thing that I find probably mildly disingenuous, if you look at the videos and the clips of some of these, of these protests, it's pretty clear who these people are voting for. They're People's Party of Canada supporters. Mm-hmm. They're Maxime Bernier supporters. Um, you know, there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of, uh, and, and that's just anyone who pays attention to what Mr. Bernier is saying, what the PPC are saying, that shouldn't surprise them at all. Um, but the liberals would just assume people believe that the Conservative Party is orchestrating them, which is, you know, just not borne by the facts. 
Let's uh, switch, switch gears and talk about the French language leaders debate. It goes uh, from 8 to 10 tonight. The English language debate will happen tomorrow from 9 to 11, and our listeners can uh, hear that on CHML. Um, tonight, do you expect anyone to be a super aggressor at the table? I expect Trudeau to come out swing for sure. <clears throat> um, you know, it's a, for those who obviously listen, for uh, those who, are, uh, who aren't francophones in your audience, Rick, and it's an interesting situation how Quebec in the polls has kind of differed from the rest of the country. If you look at particularly look at places like BC, Ontario, or Atlantic Canada, the Liberal Party has kind of seen a precipitous decline in their poll standing during the course of this campaign. In Quebec, they've more or less held steady. Um, the boy, depending on, on, on what pollster you look at, either they're neck and neck with the block, or they have a four or five point lead over the block. And you know, we, we're dealing with a situation where uh, you know. Um, uh, there, there are seats to be won for the Liberal Party in Quebec, particularly if they go hard after after Mr. O'Toole. So I expect Mr. Trudeau to, to be aggressive. I mean, it's worth noting that that, that Justin Trudeau is a, is a, is a francophone himself. Uh, you know, he's, he's he's fluently bilingual in the way that Mr. Singh and Mr. O'Toole are not. So uh, I'd expect him to be uh, in an unusual position for an incumbent to be very aggressive in the debate. Does Trudeau have the most to gain and the most to lose among the group there? His, I think, I think Trudeau um, has the most to gain. He's already had, he's already lost a lot. I don't, I don't, I, I struggle to see a, a situation where um, he loses a lot more support in Quebec. I think the higher stakes for Trudeau are, quite frankly, the English language debate, where he has to, where basically a lot of Canadians in English Canada have lost faith in him, and he has to show them why he deserves another chance. Um, in this, I think he's really, you know, uh, it's not opportunity for him to play offense. And maybe an opportunity for them to try to pick up, pick up some support and pick up some seats. Uh, so, like I said, I expect to see a very aggressive showing from Mr. Trudeau. How much, um, how much of an impact does a leader's performance in a debate have in the overall vote tally? Do you think? You know, people write political science papers about this stuff, Rick. It's a great question. Um, you know, uh, not a lot of viewers watch the debates end to end. And those that do are the kind of people like, like you and me, Rick, who are really like their politics and tend to be decided voters. Um, instead, people take their cues from media, from opinion leaders, from what they see in social media the next day. And, and you get this kind of, uh, they form impressions about how the different leaders did. So I think what you can find is, is a really, a disastrous moment, a disastrous moment in debate can certainly cost you support. Um, but but I don't think there's any equivalent upside. If you have a really, really strong debate, what it does is, is it really reaffirms to the people who are already thinking about voting for you that they made a good choice and, and it further cements your support. But you don't, it's rare you'll see someone spike in, the, in polling numbers as a result of a debate performance. David Terrence, Vice President, National Strategic Communications at Enterprise. Uh, thanks for the time today and enjoy the uh, back-to-back debates. Thanks, Rick. Take care. You too. Wake up with the information you need to get the most out of your day. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. Today is a critical day for Hamilton's LRT. And I know we've been saying this for a number of years now, but today really is a big day because city councilors are going to be gathering today for the General Issues Committee. It starts at 930. Uh, and they're going to vote on a what is called Memorandum of Understanding with Metrolinks to move the LRT project a little further down the road. So 
what's going to happen today? Uh, do we expect any fireworks, any roadblocks? Let's bring in our next guest. His name is Keenan Loomis. He's the president and CEO of the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce. We say good morning, Keenan. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm not too shabby. So yet another, and I say yet another, big vote on LRT. What's going to happen today? Yeah, well, this is uh, definitely going to be a big day for Hamilton, a historic day for Hamilton, where uh, council is expected to pass the uh, the memorandum of understanding, as you said, with uh, Metrolinx in the province of Ontario, and this will kickstart a process whereby which uh, the the um, the bidding process will restart. Uh, you might recall that it was uh, it was stopped in the middle of uh, the process um, by the uh, the provincial government a, a couple of years ago. Well, we will be able to get back on with that and uh, start to uh, entertain bidders, and those that will be the construction company that will come in and uh, build the project. So this is a really significant step that uh, we've been waiting for for a very long time as a, as a chamber and as members of the community that just want to see Hamilton progress forward. And this is one of the biggest votes because um, the decision today would be binding. It would basically lock in the city to this project, right? Yeah, it locks in the city. Uh, there are a number of steps uh, to come, a number of uh, addenda to the agreement that are expected. But uh, this is a big one that uh, basically uh, where the, the city and Metrolinx of the province of Ontario uh, hold hands and start to walk down that road together. And uh, once we are uh, passed today and this agreement has been uh, uh, agreed to, then um, it all uh, unfolds from here, and we should have shovels on the ground by next year. There have been a lot of uh, ups and downs with the LRT project over the years. Uh, obviously, uh, you know th- this was uh, first announced many, many years ago. Um, in saying that, are, are, is there any anxious moments on your part? Or are you at all concerned that it could go, pardon the pun, off the rails again today? No, I think that, uh, you know, it, it, so all projects like this have uh, those ups and downs. These are not easy, linear things, uh, and Hamilton is not unique at all uh, in this regard. Um, but uh, I think the likelihood of it getting done now are as high as it ever has been and will certainly be uh, even higher after today. Um, I do not expect... Uh, any roadblocks after this because, you know, we have all three levels of government committed to doing this and uh, all three parties at the federal level um, going through an election right now are committed to doing this. The three parties provincially are committed to to honoring this agreement as well. And, um, and of course, the city, of course, today is uh, is going to be committing um, with the, the vote of council. So I think that uh, it's pretty much a done deal after today. The local Chamber of Commerce has been a big proponent of this project. What are Chamber members, what is the business community here in Hamilton saying about the LRT now? Well, we're just happy to get to this point. I mean, again, it's it has been uh, a rocky road uh, thus far. And, you know, at, at a couple points along the way, we thought that this was going to get uh, uh, killed with no, uh, with no option for revival. Um, and yet here we are. And so finally, again, uh, the probability of this getting done is as high as it has ever been. Um, and, you know, it's, it's so important for Hamilton because think about it. This is $3.4 billion of higher level government funding coming into the city, basically increasing our balance sheet. You know, that's how we look at things as a, as a business community. The balance sheet of the community 
will go up by $3.4 billion today once this MOU is signed. And then it will unlock, um, by many estimates and conservative estimates, the, the province is saying that these types of, of massive transit investments provide a seven-to-one return on investment. So you then multiply that $3.4 billion by seven over the course of 30, 40 years, which is not at all unrealistic. And you can see why this is important to a business community, why it's important to uh, a community of, of um, forward-thinking, community-minded folks, which the Chamber of Commerce uh, has always been, and it's 176 years. Um, it, this has been a city-building organization from the very beginning, and this has been the most important city-building issue that has been on our agenda in the last decade, and that's why we've been so supportive of this. We're chatting with Hamilton Chamber of Commerce President and CEO Keenan Loomis here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. My name's Rick Samprin, um, and, and you just really laid out uh, the information in terms of you know how this impacts the entire city, because a lot of the moaning and groaning has been, you know, this is an east-west line from McMaster to Eastgate Square. It doesn't help anybody, you know, in Ancaster on the mountain or, you know, in Upper Stony Creek. But economically, it helps the entire city. Economically, it helps the entire city. And and once the LRT is built, it will completely reconfigure the current transit system that we have. So it will uh, affect all uh, areas of the city in terms of transit. Don't forget, this is uh, the first uh, project in the BLAST uh, network. So this is the B line and, and BLAST. And there are other lines that uh, have been uh, contemplated by council and, and passed. And those lines, though they may not be LRT, um, will be rapid transit lines that will reach to all corners of the city. And the LRT will be the spine. And, of course, we're starting with this project now because the ridership is there. This is the busiest transit uh, corridor in the entire city. And so once we get this down, um, I think it's an important that we start planning for the next leg. We talk about A-Line, which basically goes from the harbor front to the airport. Um, I think it's really important to start planning for A-Line as well so that once we're done constructing B-Line, we're ready to go with A-Line and, and then the rest of the projects in uh, the BLAST network. So it will have far-ranging impacts um, on our transit system. But yes, as, it, as I said, um, significant impacts on the local economy as well. And I think, you know, one of the things I'm most frustrated about is the inability of, of leaders to really paint a vision for, um, for re- uh, residents who, you know, I, I understand that people, you know, they, they, they have... Um, you know, the, the, they they live their lives, and it's difficult for them to understand how uh, a project like this will impact uh, the community. But you know, I I really implore people to look beyond the horizon, look at the over the next 20, 25 years, and really understand how this is going to transform the city and bring in revenue and and the development, of course, that it will spur as well. Like I said, a seven to one return on this uh, investment, which is huge and which will impact every single taxpayer in Hamilton and hopefully lower the, the, the overall tax bill um, because of the development that uh, this will spur. Keenan, really appreciate the time this morning. Uh, thanks for this, and um, uh, I'm sure we'll be celebrating a yes vote later on this morning.
We certainly will, Rick. Thanks so much. Keating Loomis, President and CEO of the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce, talking to us about LRT. It's a big news day in terms of that. This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. Ah, man, I remember the first day of school. It was the worst day of the year, wasn't it? Unless, I mean, unless you really like school. It was probably the best day of the year. But for me, <laughs> I, uh, I wasn't too thrilled when this day came along. And uh, I'm sure, you know, my son's probably up and at him as we speak. You know, I think the bell rings at his high school at 8.30. So he's uh, well on his way to ushering in another and his final, <laughs> I think, <laughs> his final year at high school. You know, he's in grade 12, and I'm not sure an extra year is going to be warranted. He'll have all his credits. He'll have all his volunteer hours. So he'll be good to go. For many kids... This is the first first day of school. You know, if they're in JK or they've moved to the city and they're trying out a new school or attending a new school, this is uh, this is a big day for them. As we know, we're still in a global pandemic. Are schools ready? That is the the big question. And what are what's going to be new? What's going to be different? We'll chat with Hamilton Public District School Board Chair Don Danko in about 20 minutes' time. But joining us now is Global News reporter Dave Woodard from Sister Station 640 in Toronto. Dave, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. So you chatted with uh, some parents about uh, back to school. What did you hear? Yeah, it was uh, yesterday in Toronto. The French Catholic Elementary Board uh, did open up schools yesterday, uh, which is actually a couple of days ahead of schedule for the rest of Toronto, the Toronto Catholic and the Toronto uh, district school board both decided that they were going to open up schools on Thursday. Um, but I did speak to some parents. You're right. I, I, they were very interested to see kind of how school was going to go. Very similar to the last year where there was screening at the door. Um, the the um, administrators were taking temperature of students as they walked in. Um, there were a couple of tears from the, the, the JK students, you know, not wanting to go in. and, and uh, it, But it, all in all, I think most of the parents were, were um, a little trepidatious, I'd say, but they all said that this is something that needs to happen. Yeah, I can understand the, the, the consternation and the worry among parents because there's still a big unknown, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think for many of the parents, it was it was a challenging day in the first place because some of the the ones that were dropping them off for junior kindergarten that represents a whole new thing right i mean i'm sure you remember dropping your kids off at jk it feels like it was yesterday <laughs> and it it was something that it was it was strange because it's it's they've been a part of your life for 24/7 and all of a sudden you're like okay got to drop them off uh so there was that uh, worry as well as, you know, what's going to be happening in the school year. Now, um, I, I did speak to one parent who had a child that was going into grade three, um, and, and they said that, uh, you know, this is a mitigated and calculated risk. Yes, it's worrisome. Uh, yes, there are concerns, um, but we need to do this to, uh, as he said, um, preserve school for our children. We're chatting with Dave Woodard, a global news reporter from Sister Station 640 in Toronto. He chatted with uh, some parents yesterday as the Toronto French uh, Language District uh, School Board uh, was uh, back in action. Um, he also chatted with uh, some post-secondary students who are also getting ready to go back to class as well. Tell us about that. 
Yeah, so after I was spoke with some parents and, and then the uh, school-aged children were, you know, into class, I went over to George Brown College in Toronto and, and just, you know, spoke to some of the students. And, and they were, you know, it was an orientation day for college. So there wasn't a lot of, you know, actual, you know, work going on. There wasn't a lot of uh, students going uh, around the, the campus. Um, a lot of them, you know, had decided that they were going to, you know, skip orientation altogether. Uh, very different than uh, what it has been, you know, pre-pandemic. Uh, you go to McMaster or Mohawk, it, th- those campuses, um, you know, before everything happened, and it's kind of buzzing with activity, and you can really feel it. George Brown just felt kind of like an average Tuesday um, with just a few extra people. Um, when I did speak to some of the uh, the students, there were a couple of first years who said it was great because they were able to do things in person. Um, but it's not all in person. There's a lot of stuff that's still online. So um, there's you know concern about how that's going to work. Um, some of the second years. Uh, they said that they felt uh, a little more comfortable um, because they knew that they were vaccinated. They knew that their uh, their uh, instructors were going to be vaccinated because that's one of the rules with uh, George Brown is that if you want to be on campus, you either have to be vaccinated or have a negative test. So there there is a lot of excitement about being back to school. Um, but again, there is a little bit of concern about how long this is going to last. Uh, one of the students who chatted with at uh, George Brown yesterday, Tiffany, said, and you kind of referenced this, is that you know two of her courses are in person, so at the school, the rest are online. But she sounded a little disappointed because she's hoping that next year it's all you know at the school, right? Yeah, uh, she came straight from high school last year, so obviously everything was online after March. Um, so it's and it's been about three years, really, in terms of uh, how many school years we've had that have been touched by the pandemic. So it's it's, it's a very um, concerning thing for for a lot of students going to post-secondary, um, you know, talking about, you know, what this is going to do. And of course, college um, is a, a much more hands on um, experience. So if you are doing online uh, you're not able to get it. And as you said, uh, get that experience in person. And as Tiffany said um, to me, she said, you know, she was a dental hygienist student. She said, you know, could you imagine not having, you know, operated on a mouth or seen a, a mouth in person and actually going into, you know, having to do an operation without ever ac- having actually done it? Yeah, those fields, you definitely need the hands-on, in-person experience. Otherwise, you're not getting the full experience of of doing that uh, once you do land a job in the real world. I can't imagine, I don't know about you, Dave, but I can't imagine going to school now with masks and distancing and online and in-person. It's a massive curveball. I really feel for these students and and the faculty and staff as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, one of the things that I noticed, too, is is kind of uh, there's a lot of um, hoops that you have to kind of jump through just to get into the campus. I wasn't, uh, I mean, being a reporter, oftentimes you're, you're on the outside of where you actually have to be uh, just for privacy reasons, for all kinds of reasons. And, and so I'm, I'm st- standing outside of George Brown College, but there are nurses on the inside taking temperature. There are places that are, are segregated away from everybody else so that you can get tested if need be. It's a very strange atmosphere. I mean, 
I went to college a long, long time ago. But, I mean, it was one of those things where it, it, it was a, a very kind of inclusive ex- experience where everything was, you know, right at your fingertips. So it was just, it was, it's one of those things to watch and, and think that it's a very, it's got to be a very strange thing for people. Uh, the, the benefit is, is that um, many of these students have never been to college before, so this is all they really know. Mm-hmm. Um, now, hopefully next year, if, if things go back to quote-unquote normal, um, they'll be able to have that real college experience. Fingers crossed. Uh, Woody, appreciate the time today. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, Rick. Global News reporter Dave Woodard joining us here. How about some news and opinion to go with your coffee? This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. We have made incredible strides as a province to confidently get our children back into the classroom. It is time for our children and youth to see their friends, to socialize and participate in extracurricular activities. This is crucially important for their mental, physical and social well-being. Ontario's Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Kieran Moore, talking about back to school. And that's what we are talking about right now on Good Morning Hamilton here on 900 CHML. My name's Rick Zamprin. Um, it is a big day for Hamilton students, as we know, the first day of school for the public and Catholic boards. A lot of uh, nervous energy, I'm sure, for students who are going back into the classroom because they've been out of the classroom for a long, long time. Don Danko is the chair of the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board, and she joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Don. Good morning, Rick. Is this a nervous day for the chair of the board as well? Well, I, I'm not just the chair, I'm a parent as well, so I think I have the, the same first-day jitters that many families and many parents have, um, but I'm also really excited today, knowing that people around Hamilton are getting their children ready to go to school in person after such a long time online and having summer break. I know for, for my family and for many families I've spoken to, it's, it's so critical that they're back in person. So the question is, are we ready? That's a great question, and our schools and our staff have been working so hard to get ready. Um, Families will know that there's been a lot of communication, a lot of messaging, and there still may be some outstanding questions. Uh, That doesn't mean we're not ready. It means that we will continue to communicate with you this week to make sure you have all the information you need to feel confident sending your children to school. Um, But yes, we are ready. We, We are ready to welcome our students back in person. So what questions are you anticipating fielding in the first week or the first month of back to class? Well, some of the questions that have already emerged, um, some parents wondering, can I switch? I've made a choice to be in remote, and I think I want to go in person or vice versa. And parents have until September 10th to fill out a form if they'd like to request a change in the deliveries, because we are welcoming students online right now as well today. Um, but other questions that are emerging you know, tend to be about, well, what are the protocols? What will athletics look like? How can we do athletics when cases are going up in the community? And that's where we're trying to make sure that we're providing really effective communication, regular communication with families so that they have the information they need. Uh, Some things are still emerging. We're we're collaborating with public health and with our coterminous board to make sure that we're being a little more cautious this fall uh, than we would hope to be with cases rising. But again, um, as long as we're taking all of the layered safety measures like screening, masking, distancing, cohorting, all of it, um, we know that we can minimize the risk of spread in schools as much as possible. Don Danko is the chair of the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board, joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. What is different in schools now compared to last year at this time? 
really, I think for the student uh, perspective, it's going to feel like a very similar experience. Students are required to wear masks from kindergarten to grade 12. They're going to stay in their cohorts. And right now, uh, they're going to be cohorted at recess as well. Just again, some additional precaution um, looking at the cases in Hamilton. Some things that they may not notice that are different are some ventilation upgrades that we've done in many of our schools. And in some of our rooms, you'll see that there's HEPA filter units. And so in particular, that's happening in our kindergarten classrooms, as well as schools that don't have intake of outside air into the space. Um, But other than that, I think our students are going to be familiar with the signs. They're going to be familiar with the hand hygiene. And of course, with our new students coming into our board or into junior kindergarten, we'll we'll be making sure that we, we help them with those protocols. How's the staff and teachers feeling? You know, I I do hear from a number of staff. I think they also have those back-to-school jitters. I I think there's a a different level of confidence going into this year versus last year where all of the protocols were new for everyone. And so you can imagine the week before school learning all of these protocols that you then have to teach to your students and encourage with your students. Um, So, yes, the people have some trepidation, but they're also excited to see their their students back in person where that's happening and welcoming their classes online where where that's happening. So excitement, but certainly some back-to-school jitters as well. That's understandable. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton here on 900 CHML. My name's Rick Samprin. We are joined by Don Danko, the chair of the public school board here in Hamilton. What is the likelihood of outbreaks, class shutdowns, school closures? Can we say that that is a remote possibility? I think remote would be optimistic. So we know that our schools are a reflection of the community when it comes to COVID cases. And that means we are going to have cases come into our schools. Now, if we are screening, if there's any symptoms, that's one of the ways that we can prevent that from happening. But the the key thing that we're trying to do is have measures in place to prevent spread in schools. So we saw that uh, when we had higher numbers in the community last March, for example, we had a number of outbreaks. And that's where there was spread between two different people, and it was linked to time spent in school. Um, So I think we need to understand that that risk is real, and we need to balance the risk of COVID coming into the school and spreading with the risk to students when they're not in person. And we, we know that there are some serious consequences when they're in prolonged remote learning. So what can families expect? Um, You can expect that a class cohort may need to isolate. There are different rules now if you're fully vaccinated versus not for the time that you need to isolate, um, and public health will will direct that. But you can also expect that um, we will take a regional approach, and that's what we've heard from the province. They're not planning a province-wide shutdown. We can look at what's happening in Hamilton, how are we managing at HWDSB, and if we do need to close a school or a class or cohort temporarily. The goal is to keep it very temporary. We just chatted with the presidents of Local 4153 from QP about the loss of enhanced cleaning jobs in schools. Is that a concern? So we do have additional caretaking staff hired this year. I know it looks different than last year because we have more all of our secondary students coming back in person all day, every day. Um, so we, we are going to be following the, the recommendations for the enhanced cleaning measures. I think we will need to monitor, um, do we have enough staff in each of our schools? Um, are those high-touch high points being cleaned at least twice a day, but even more frequently? And uh, if more support is needed, we'll definitely be looking into that. Ms. Danko, Appreciate the time. Good luck on the first day of school. Thank you. Don Danko is the chair of the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board here in Hamilton. Coming up at 10.30 this morning, CHML's Bill Kelly is going to be joined by the chair of the Catholic Board, Pat Daly, as they will 
uh, chat about the return to school today. Coming up after the news at 8, we're going to dive deep into the leaders' debate tonight. The French language debate is tonight from 8 to 10. The English language leaders' debate is tomorrow from 9 to 11. You can hear that on CHML. Uh, Chief political correspondent for Global News, David Aiken, is going to hop on in and he will give us a preview of the debate and who might shine and who might stumble tonight. Stay tuned for that. Serving up a healthy dose of news, traffic, and engaging opinion. This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. We will not let them win. They will not interfere with the way this election is presenting a clear choice to Canadians. That is Liberal leader Justin Trudeau saying that he's not going to back away from his policies to appease a few anti-vaccine protesters who are using violence and intimidation to get their away on uh, his campaign stops. He was in uh, London on Monday. Uh, You probably all saw the video of those uh, little rocks or gravel being thrown at the prime minister, hit uh, some of his security detail, some members of the media, uh, and Trudeau saying, uh, listen, uh, people hoping to disrupt the election are not going to succeed. And he went on to say that the RCMP is now going to decide whether to lay charges against those protesters who threw gravel. London police also saying they're looking into this matter as well as that situation happened in London during the uh, campaign stop. Uh, big night tonight for all the main, well, I shouldn't say all because they're not all going to be there, but most of the major federal party leaders will be going at it tonight. They'll be dropping the gloves in the French language leaders debate. That goes from 8 to 10 tonight. The English language leaders debate is on tap tomorrow night from 9 to 11. You can hear that debate right here on 900 CHML. And joining us to give us a little preview of both debates is David Aiken, chief political correspondent with Global News, and he joins us now. Good morning, David. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Well, you know, political geeks, this is our week, right? Two debates, <laughs> back-to-back. It's exciting. It's it's amazing. This is like watching a Royal Rumble on back-to-back nights. What what do you expect? What, what are you anticipating is going to happen? Well, I think we should start probably with uh, some new polling data that we've got out today, and that sort of sets the debate up. We've got the national horse race number and some Quebec numbers. I'll give you the national number first. This is from our polling partner, Ipsos, and provided exclusively to us at Global. Right now, the Conservatives are at 35%. They're in the lead uh, on the national horse race. The Liberals are there at 32%. The NDP is back at 21%. So that's the key for the national number. Conservatives ahead, 35, Liberals 32, NDP 21. But as we think about tonight's French language debate, Ipsos is the first pollster in this campaign to find someone other than the Liberals in first place in Quebec. This is a big change. And to be honest, it's not a, it's not a, a big lead, but someone else is in, in first place, and that is the Bloc Québécois. Right now, 34% of Quebecers would vote for the Bloc, 33% would vote for the Liberals, 21% for the Conservatives, and that's good for the Conservatives. That historically is pretty good, high. And then 8% for the NDP. Now, it, so that's a statistical tie, but the Bloc is sort of on top. But that's not much of a change from the 2019 election. Uh, in the 2019 election, 34% voted Liberal versus 32% for the Bloc, and it's, it's, it's now reversed. Why is that an issue? Because in 2019, the Liberals lost their majority government primarily because 
the Bloc Québécois all of a sudden showed up again and took a whole lot of liberal seats. So if you believe that Justin Trudeau call, called this election to win his majority back, and I think a lot of people believe that, well, he's got to beat the Bloc. Like, he has to take those Bloc seats back. And right now, there's no sign he's anywhere close to doing that. So I think tonight, this really puts the onus on Trudeau. He's got to find a way to knock Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchet off his feet. And the big problem there is, we saw it at French language debate last week, Blanchet is good on his feet. He's a good debater. So is Trudeau. But they're you know, I don't know that there's that you're going to have a clear-cut win, and a tie is not a win in this case for Justin Trudeau and the Liberals. So should we anticipate that Mr. Trudeau is going to be the aggressor tonight? Uh, I would think so, yeah. I mean, they, they, those two guys have got to find... You know, for, for Blanchet, he's happy if he stays at 30%. He, by and large, keeps the seats he wanted. He wanted some more in Quebec. Sure, every politician wants some more, but he's got, uh, you know, he's got 30-odd, and that's what he needs. So for the Liberals, he has to be the aggressor. The conservatives, I mentioned, they're polling at 21 percent now. In 2019, they only got 16 percent of the vote. So the conservatives are doing much better now versus their last election. And in their last election, they got 10 seats. And the path to government for O'Toole and the Tories, it doesn't go through Quebec. They just need to hold those 10 seats. They need to win lots more in Ontario. They need to win B.C. and so on. So the goal for the conservatives in this campaign is really just just don't screw up and hold what you have. Now, speaking of screw-ups, in the last French language debate last Thursday, that's where O'Toole decided to change his position on gun control. And that's what we've been talking about for the last five days. It started last Thursday. And, you know, the flip-flop on guns, just O'Toole dropped it in the middle of the debate. Why? Because Quebecers, unlike most of the country, definitely want tighter gun control laws. They are unique among Canadians. We want tight gun control laws. And so, I guess O'Toole said that to impress folks in Quebec. caused them all sorts of problems in the rest of the country. So I suspect O'Toole's going to get grilled about the flip-flop. He'll say one thing to one group just to get elected, and that's something both Blanchet and Trudeau would like to, to pin him on. David, grab your popcorn, put on some extra butter. Should be a good show tonight. Enjoy it, and uh, we'll talk to you down the road. Sounds good. Cheers. David Aiken, Chief Political Correspondent with Global News, giving us a preview of tonight's French Language Leaders Debate. Should be a good show. Wake up with the information you need to get the most out of your day. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Zamperin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.